Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to this new edition of Mind Podcast. This is Adit Kapadia and we have a very special guest w- with us um, today to kick things off for the new year. Joining us from Delhi is the um, uh, national spokesperson of the BJP who is in charge of uh, technology and um uh and and national uh, in charge of bjp's national information and technology and also is a part of the bjp's uh, social media committee as i just read this morning uh, amit malavia uh, amit welcome to my podcast thank you so much for having me over uh, the the, ple- the pleasure is ours so um, you know I, i will not start with the cliched question saying uh, how is the mood in delhi because i th- i guess that's that's the first question everyone asks you whenever you pick up the phone and talk to them well that's the exciting thing about being in delhi and for those who come to delhi yeah this is where all the political action happens so it's very natural for people to ask and particularly with the upcoming lok sabha election sure. uh, the talks seem to wear around it and yeah. i must say that there is a sense of excitement uh in the air mm-hmm. and i think things are just about starting to build up right right i mean for 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 for, for those of us who've been around for a while uh, i mean we remember this um uh, portion before the 2014 lok sabha election and how there was like a buzz in the air and stuff like that so do you sense something similar happening right now as well about 4 5 months before 2019 Well except that in 2014 we were the challengers and uh, now we are in the government mm-hmm. and uh, we would like to believe that we want to continue doing what we have set out for ourselves in the government till the last day that we are in office mm-hmm. in that sense the election is still to pick up okay also because in the 2013 2014 mm. there was a great deal of corruption cases which were just falling all around there was all round gloom and doom in india mm-hmm. people were seemingly losing hope on what the country could achieve and therefore in that scenario the sense of anxiety among the people was much higher mm-hmm. and it perhaps started off much earlier mm-hmm. things have changed substantially since then there is a lot of stability today in the country economically politically militarily we are a more secure country today there is a lot to cheer about in the country we seem to be doing the right things we have ensured that we have moved from being clubbed into fragile five to fabric economies are concerned so mr modi's government has in the last four and a half years almost erased the negativity that was associated with india at that point in time and i'm saying this very consciously because today when people look at india and look at ms modi's government and look at what 2019 may herald for us they tend to forget that it has taken a lot of hard work to come out of the mess that we were in 2013 14 mm-hmm. and to have reached where we have today No, sure. I mean, uh, the the challenge, no doubt, was huge because you were running on ten years of incumbents anti uh, anti incumbency, and um, and almost a government where the prime minister's office had weakened. Uh, in in I'm, I'm referring to the Manmohan Singh era, of course. But um, you know, the, the, 
what was interesting is and uh, the, one of the reasons why when we were discussing what i mean you know um, the topics that we were going to talk about on the podcast one of the reasons i one of the things i definitely wanted to discuss about the interview that uh, prime minister modi gave to smita prakash and i'm going to kind of go into it because you mentioned the issues and stuff that had dominated and the challenges before and i almost felt like that interview was a report card now one may agree or disagree with um, uh, uh, specific points or one may want to counter question but wouldn't you agree that that was rather than an interview he was more of giving what was happening in the last four and a half years in his government you know any sensitive prime minister hmm. who feels that he is accountable to the people hmm. do that yeah <laughs> and that's true Prime Minister Modi's interview mm. was essentially that mm. he wanted to perhaps cut through mm. the clutter that surrounds public narrative mm. and tell the people exactly what his government has done, mm. what is his vision mm. as the Prime Minister of India, mm. what he has achieved so far, mm. and where does he want to take the country? Right. I think, in that sense, as much as it was. putting in front of the people what he has done he has also indicated what he would like this country to be what his grand vision for the country and how the prime minister has placed the blocks in the four and a half years of his government yeah. to ensure that india reaches there and therefore it was an interview with several layers mm. if you sit down and you listen to everything that he has said right. uh, it's quite a fascinating conversation because it uh, brings to what is on his mind and i think that's very important because as the head of the government and as the head of the country uh, people must be assured that they are in safe hands and i think his interview achieved that in complete uh, you know confidence and that could be sensed from the response that people had to the interview sure so, so, so i want to go into a little bit of some, some specific issues on the interview because um the economic front is the one that is being discussed the most right a lot of people are um, i mean you know they keep talking about the gst and demonetization and stuff and the pre pm kept reiterating that the demonetization was not uh, quote unquote a jhatka and should not be perceived by that and he also kept rebutting rahul gandhi's charge on gst so um on the economic front, and do you think amit the, the the government has made adequate progress in four and a half years or do you think there could have been done a lot more well you know governments run in perpetuity sure and therefore there is always much more that you can do hmm. but the measure of success is where you were hmm. and where you have reached in that limited time that you had hmm. Hmm. what is really to understand about mr modi's government hmm. is that he has changed the scale at which governments operate hmm. when his government went ahead and electrified all the 19000 villages mm -hmm. left to the pace at which the upa was doing it hmm. it would have probably taken 20 years his government <coughs> achieved that in four and a half years hmm. india had six and a half crore toilets Mr. Modi's government built another six and a half crores in the four and a half years. Right. So you have almost seven decades compared to four and a half years. Mm. Same is applicable to the way road construction pace increased. It is also applicable to the number of airports that came up. Mm. You could also 
today say that more people are flying than they are traveling in air-conditioned compartments. The rapid progress made in digitizing villages, mm. as in getting internet to each village, has shot up. LPG, a basic thing that you and I would expect in our homes, mm. has been delivered at almost 100% uh, pace, hmm. which means that if from independence to now, there has been 13 crore gas cylinders in just the last four and a half years, Modi's government has issued another 12 crores, hmm. of which five and a half crores came only from Ujwala. That number is now actually touched six crore. So the pace at which Mr. Modi's government worked to improve and change lives of people hmm. is mind-boggling, to put it simply. You talk about GST. Hmm. It's a reform that was pending for a very, very long time. Yeah, almost 17, 18 and years. And it's not right? as if... Exactly. And it's not as if it happened on its own. Hmm. There was a Herculean effort hmm. that went behind it. Finance Minister Mr. Jaitley bought all the states on the table and under the leadership of Prime Minister Modi, it was finally made a reality. Hmm. The GST, despite all the propaganda, has in fact brought down the direct taxes of individual mm. and has ensured that things have now become cheaper mm. because uh, the overall taxes that today manufacturers or service providers are paying is much lesser than what it was earlier mm. and therefore the inflation is down the cost of um, you know acquiring things has gone down and therefore it will all set in motion the propensity for people to consume more, which is the most essential thing in any economic activity. So, now, coming to even things like demonetization, hmm. which the opposition wants to flog for political reasons. Hmm. But the reality is that after demonetization, about four and a half lakh crore rupees have come into the formal banking system. Hmm. And that means that much more money is now available hmm. for people to spend, hmm. uh, for banks to lend. Hmm. Politically, the BJP won the Uttar Pradesh election squarely after demonetization and after GST was implemented, Gujarat, which is a fairly mercantile state, went to mm. polls and the BJP came back to power again. Mm. So that tells you that somewhere people believe that Mr. Modi is doing things with the right intention. He may have taken tough decisions, but they are eventually going to help the country, to help individuals. And I think that's the sign of a very wise democracy. Yeah, I mean, in, in Gujarat, I mean, Gujarat's my state and that, that was that was one of the things um, I noticed that a lot of people, although they may have seemed a little disturbed from GST, they were willing to give the government another chance. They're saying that, you know, maybe we have not seen the fruits of GST and stuff. But they were hoping that uh, one of the th one of the criticisms that I got from the ground was that the uh, the the system like th there were a lot of changes being made and I understand that it's something that the government is figuring out themselves the slabs and the norms that were changed so there was a little bit of the one of the feedback or criticism was to refine the systems and maybe that is something the government does need to look into where they refine the systems where the delivery system or the mechanism is a little better for GST. Well, I cannot uh, deny the fact mm. that there may have been issues. Mm. There are, um, in fact, challenges that the government is constantly looking mm. to address. Mm. But what we should also not forget mm. that we are trying to replace an archaic system, right. which was broken at multiple levels. Mm -hmm. And India has 
three level of governance structure mm. and therefore for any reform and a deep reform like implementing the gst mm. is going to be challenging is mm. going to take some effort and doing on the part of government <coughs> not just the central government but also the state government and the local body mm. and that is apparently happening mm. but the good thing about the gst implementation is that the government has been very very proactive mm. it has taken the feedback from various stakeholders very quickly on board and is trying to resolve some of the issues one could argue that they could have been done quicker <coughs> and that is an argument that can always be made mm. but what is important from the end user point of view is that here is a government which has ensured that every feedback that's come to us has been implemented quickly people have not been inconvenienced and the bureaucracy has been sensitized mm. to be uh, you know very transparent to mm. the people because it is something that requires a great deal of hand holding mm. and all of that has come to a point today where uh we are seeing free inter state movement of goods mm. it has led to creation of one market mm. and i think this could be a harbinger of bringing in a more industrialized economy in mm. the country where manufacturing could have a very large chunk of the uh, gdp which will actually make india a middle income country with a much higher per capita income than what it is today so in the 15 20 25 year horizon india could well be a you know an emerging country at the top echelons perhaps with a very healthy per capita income with a fat middle class and that's exactly where all countries want to go eventually yeah i saw a very um, uh, interesting piece on the financial times about it where the uh, commentator was saying that the future is not china the future is india and of course he mentioned many reforms and stuff but before we get into political issues and uh, social issues because that's another part also i mean it was a 95 minute interview it was a comprehensive interview and <clears throat> many other issues and we're not just talking about the interview actually if you noticed amit and i were talking about i mean you start you sort of kick board from the interview but then there is a bunch of other issues that you talk about as well um one of the major things i personally felt and the economist surjit bhalla actually said this long ago that one of the biggest core competencies of narendra modi when he was a cm in gujarat was his delivery mechanism right that he would deliver on specific issues and stuff and two or three of the specific issues i felt where the government did do well is the power sector the infrastructure uh, region where they were doing great in surface transport and ships and stuff um, you know ports and stuff like that and um, also a, a on the national security front they have been doing um, incredibly well but another re- re- thing that is not discussed as much about it uh, in the last one year or something is also the great achievement in foreign policy uh, my uh, co- my colleague sunanda vashish will always joke that uh, now it's under the Mr. prime minister modi it's foreign policy on steroids so uh, would you agree these four are the high points of it or would you add on to them some uh, add on some other issues as the high points of this government no i completely agree with you um, that india's foreign policy uh, has been a high point of um, modi's government mm. and i think uh, it is for the first time that india's foreign policy has started 
to bring dividends to the local economy. Mm. For example, um, the Make in India program that Prime Minister Modi proposed. Mm. There is a concerted effort to get a lot of manufacturing here in India. Mm. Mobile companies. India was one of the largest importers of electronic goods. And today we have over 120 mobile manufacturing companies. Mm. When uh, Mr. Modi took office in 2014, there were just two. Hmm. And imagine for a country of 100 crore plus people, hmm. if where your tele-density is 100%, <coughs> if all of those mobiles are being imported, hmm. that is a huge loss to the exchequer. Now yeah. those are being manufactured in the country. That creates a lot of jobs and that also brings in a lot of dollars. Hmm. Other than that, when India rose up to defend its borders, hmm. conducted the surgical strikes, hmm. it was Mr. Modi's diplomacy that led to no government questioning our move, hmm. which is unprecedented. In fact, governments backed India's sovereign right to defend its borders. No, also, and that's something that we've never seen before. Also, the Prime Minister coming out and vehemently saying so, like we haven't, we hadn't seen that, like, you know, owning up that, yes, we did it. You know, and we're, we're, that was unprecedented as well. Absolutely. And that can happen only to have a determined political leadership which knows how to disengage India's foreign policy mm. and India's national security. Mm. And I think Mr. Modi has done that exceptionally well. Mm. Um, I think any watcher of India's foreign policy would tell you that we are living in a golden era mm. where India's Prime Minister is feted, is cheered for by world leaders and he's somebody who's hugely admired mm. and somebody who's taken very, very seriously. Mm. The Prime Minister introduced a look east policy mm. where countries like Singapore, Japan and the entire yeah. South <coughs> Asia is today looking to see how India could be the access for this entire look east policy. Now, these are fundamental shifts that he's brought about in the um, foreign policy. China today is engaged with us far more constructively than it was ever before. Mm. Um, whether it's Russia, whether it's, it is, um, you know, the Middle Eastern countries. Mm. We have excellent relationships with them. No. Uh, we just extradited Christian Michel. <laughs> yeah, I was that coming to that. Happened <laughs> if uh, we didn't have a great equation with uh, the Middle Eastern countries. Mm -hmm. Now, that really tells you mm. that things have changed. Vijay Malaya is feeling that he's sitting in UK. Mm. He's going to be extradited any uh, moment now. Mm. And therefore, there is a lot that this government has achieved because of the sharp foreign policy pursued by Mr. Modi. Yeah, no, I mean, look East policy especially, uh, you know, looking at Japan, Vietnam is almost like a counterweight to China and getting our establishing our relationship so that we can you know use that to leverage our relationship with china is a is, a, is, a, is an excellent step i agree completely so i want to talk about christian michel and politics in the in the, in the next 10 minute segment if i want to wrap up this quick quick segment on on um, on the uh, issues if I were to ask you, like, what are the three major issues or any major, I mean, you know, we reduce numbers to three or four, it could be one or two issues. What are the issues where uh, you think you all need to work more on uh, uh, for coming 2019? If BJP were to come to power again in 2019, what are the uh, major issues you think need to be worked on a little more? Look, Adit, hmm. uh, Mr. Modi has a vision for India. Hmm 
that extends beyond the five year term mm. that he had mm-hmm. uh, been given by the people of this country. Mm. There are a lot of legacy issues to be addressed in India. Mm-hmm. We have heard about rural distress, mm. that seems to be the talk of the town. Mm. Let me tell you briefly what Mr. Modi's government has done for the farming sector. Sure. The agriculture budget has been doubled from 1 lakh crore to 2 lakh crore. Mm-hmm. The farm insurance has seen a jump of about 436% hmm. over the UPS five, UPA 2 five year as compared to NDA. Right. The micro irrigation hmm. has seen an investment outlay of 1 lakh crore hmm. and that has led to the area under irrigation to go up by approximately 298%. Hmm. There is a conscious attempt to build cold storages to invest in food processing Mm-hmm. to invest in creating marketplaces where farmers could actually go and sell mm-hmm. and could be you know uh, brought out of the stranglehold of the mandis sure now all of this requires a lot of effort we keep hearing about msp mm-hmm. i want to tell your listeners i was coming Modi's to that government miss mm-hmm. Modi's government has ensured that the msp across products in some cases, more than 50% as compared to what it was in 2014 when UPA was in office. Merely increasing the MSP does not help the farmer. The offtake of produce under the MSP has gone up by about 400%. Similarly, the offtake under non-MSP products, which is a market intervention, has gone up by as much as about 250%. Now, having said this, does it mean that these small landless farmers, their lot has improved? Mm. The answer to that perhaps is no. Mm. But has a lot of work been done to address that? The answer is a definitive yes. Mm. What is going to change the agriculture scenario? In my view, two things. One, that the solution to agriculture woes does not lie in agriculture but in building up your manufacturing so that more people from agriculture could migrate to uh, manufacturing Mm. and two that we need to start helping the farmer by putting in resources in his hand so that he could cover his input cost And while we do that, the other very important thing that needs to be done is that small land holdings of farmers need to be aggregated in cooperatives so that the agriculture that they sort of uh, get into becomes viable. Now, all these, these things, along with putting in the right infrastructure, ensuring that the produce reaches farmer quickly, there is cold storage, there is processing, so the value-added farmer gets more of the same stuff that he does. There is um, scientific know-how, input, soil health card, so that he can rotate his crops. All of that has to be done. Remember, we are trying to do all of this with the same that we have, with varying levels of competence. Yet, Mr. Modi, as Prime Minister, has achieved a hell lot and perhaps a lot more that he will do in the next term uh, when he takes office. Absolutely. Fascinating thoughts. Um, 
so hold that thought and then we are going to come now to politics in just a second so fascinating discussion um, amit um, i wanted to talk a little bit about politics when we um, uh, po- uh, the political issues because of course when we have you on we cannot let you go without talking about political issues <laughs> because wo to kya hai as as a as a political watcher wo hamare liye masala aa jata hai na <laughs> but yeah so uh, he politically uh, and and I, i'm i'm going a little beyond the interview because uh, today we hear that the bsp and sp might be forming an alliance in up of course these are all rumors and you know till till it happens no one knows um so there is an issue of the mahagat bandhan now uh, of course a lot of media is leaving out the fact that they have only left two seats or three seats for the congress in that and i don't think the congress would want that uh, formula um do you think the mahagathbandhan can mahagathbandhan can work on a national level because on an assembly le- election level we have seen that it has worked in some states and it has not uh, there has of course been a setback for the bjp where they have lost the three big hindi heartland states rajasthan madhya pradesh and chatisgarh but uh, you think that that can be replicated in the lok sabha level or you think since the issues are going to be different the challenges are different okay first of all i want to put the madhya pradesh and the rajasthan election result in context hmm. the bjp might not have come ahead of the congress hmm. but let's not forget that both these states have delivered a hung house sure and i know that nobody is using that word but that is the fact yeah because the congress despite the bjp being in office for three terms hmm. could not reach the half a mark Hmm. In fact the BJP's popular vote share was more than the Congress. Yeah, the co- in uh, Rajasthan the Congress had 114 in Madhya Pradesh 114 and they they needed two other independents I think to take them across the board. That's right. Hmm. And we got approximately 50,000 more votes than uh the Gang. Congress in Madhya Pradesh even nice. though we had 109 seats. Yes. In hmm. Rajasthan where everybody had written off the BJP hmm. we ended up very very close to the congress mm. and the important thing is that this is the fourth time mm-hmm. the congress has not been able to reach the half a mark in rajasthan right that should tell you a lot about the so called defeat that the bjp has faced in these uh, elections but i do concede that uh, we had to give away our chief ministership and our government and that remains a fact mm. now coming to 2019 and the mahagathbandhan Let's look at it very dispassionately. The only place or the only state where the Mahagathbandhan, if it were to be formed, would pose a challenge to the BJP is Uttar Pradesh. Yeah. That is, if the SP and BSP decide to share seats amongst themselves and take on the BJP as a combined lot. Other than Uttar Pradesh, in no other state. the bjp will have any trouble with the so called mahagathbandhan mm. because if you look at mamta banerji mm. she is unlikely to get into an alliance with the left or the congress in west bengal because she believes that she can do well on her own yes in trs in telangana the trs is unlikely to concede anything to the congress in andhra pradesh you have a three party or in fact four party <coughs> contest in the congress as cdp and uh, ysr hmm. it remains to be seen how much will chandrababu naidu be willing to concede to the congress hmm. assuming that he's already feeling the heat hmm. of uh, ysr uh, congress gaining hmm. in 
Karnataka, for example, the JDS and the Congress's vote share is absolutely concentrated in the old Mysore region. They have very scanty presence, at least the JDS has a very scanty presence in the rest of the state. So what do they get to each other while combining their uh, might? Mm. Similarly, each of these players do not contribute to the so-called Mahagadbandan in other states. Mm. For example, what is the vote bank that Sharad Tawar has in Telangana? None. Chandra Babu Naidu perhaps has no resonance in Rajasthan. Mm. Or for that matter, uh, Mamata Banerjee, if she were to go to Madhya Pradesh, it's very unlikely that she would be ad able to add anything to the Congress, which is the main party there. Mm. But having said that, the BJP is quite mindful of the fact that mm. uh, UP is an important state and mm. we are putting in all our organizational might to see that we can win 50% of the vote share. Mm. And if you win 50% of the vote share, then yeah. effectively you will win the seat. But having said that, I want to make a larger point here, Adit. Mm. Elections are not about mm. mathematics. Right. Elections are about leadership. Elections are about vision. Elections are about integrity of the leader. Elections are about how people perceive mm. your party ideologically. <coughs> And on all these counts, hmm. I think Mr. Modi stands head, um, you know, over each one of the leaders who today are on the political ceremony. Yeah. And that remains, to me, the most defining feature of this election. Hmm. That whether Prime Minister Modi is what people are going to vote for, hmm. his four and a half, five years in government is what they will look at before they make up their minds. And I think on all those counts, hmm. Mr. Modi is someone who continues to enjoy a great deal of lead over other people. So you, and that is really what is going to define the 2019 <coughs> election for me. Right. To, to sum it up, what you are saying essentially is that you do believe that arithmetic will trump chemistry. Oh, I'm sorry, chemistry will trump arithmetic. <laughs> that because arithmetic will not be the only one defining. That is, that is always the case. You right. know? And uh, most people you know, would look at historical voting patterns and try and project what will be the number of seats. But can anybody tell you how many seats uh, the BJP is going to win in West Bengal, for example, mm -hmm. purely looking at mathematics? The answer is no. Absolutely. But what is happening on the ground in West Bengal is something that tells us that the BJP will do exceptionally well in West Bengal. Yeah. Odisha, the BJP will do very well in Odisha. Mm -hmm. Northeast, the BJP or the NDA will do exceedingly well. Mm. Now, these are pockets where we are going to make big gains. Mm. I mean, Andhra and Telangana will give us more seats than what they gave us last time. Mm. We could win a couple in Kerala. Not mm. lost five seats in the last election mm. by less than 2,000 votes will probably return as much higher seats than what it did last time. Mm. Mm. So there is a lot that we will gain. Mm. And if we do lose something somewhere, I think we will more than us, um, you know, compensated from other states. Yeah, because, <clears throat> I mean, of course, North and West, there are some states, especially Gujarat, Madhya Pradesh, Rajasthan, where the, the BJP had almost sat saturated the amount of seats it could get. So there would be some losses, but you believe that they'll be offset in other states. So that's 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 interesting. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, um, before, <laughs> on a lighter note, because you talk about Chandrababu Naidu and stuff, uh, there was, uh, I think I saw a tweet where he said that uh, he was responsible for 
for the BJP's loss in the three states. So someone jokingly said that I don't know about that, but he was definitely responsible for Congress's loss in Telangana. <laughs> so I thought that was quite <laughs> interesting on that. But true. yeah, but before we wrap up um, a little bit on the social issues, because he the section that was the most discussed from the interview was where he talked about triple talaq, sabrimala, and Ram Mandir. He made a clear distinction, uh, Prime Minister, in the interview where he said that you know the the left and the, some of the le alleged left liberals already always would have this strange dichotomy over triple talaq and sabrimala where they would uh, start equating the two. And he clearly mentioned that one was a specific temple tradition and the other dealt with issues of gender equality. So what is your position on this? And do you think that that needs to change? Like that that weird bracketing of both of them together needs to change? Look, this uh, bracketing of the two hmm. is something that <coughs> the leftists want to do. Hmm. But uh, I could pose a counter question to them hmm. that those same people who speak for <coughs> the equality of women in Sabrimala are actually not supporting the triple talaq legislation in the parliament. Hmm. So that hypocrisy is there for everybody to see. But I'm not going to make that comparison because I believe that triple talaq is a draconian practice. Hmm. It has no religious connotation. It is about subjugating women. It has been done away in Islamic countries who profess to have Islam as state faith. Hmm. So if there was anything religious about it, they would have probably been following it, but it's not being done. Hmm. And secondly, India is a progressive liberal country hmm. and you cannot have a situation where nine crore women of this country from a particular community don't have the same rights as women who live in this country and belong to different communities. So it's a human rights issue and I think there should not be bracketing of the two. Hmm. Coming to the Sabrimala issue, there are several <coughs> temples in India where men are not allowed. There are several temples that have their own traditions and people follow them. Yeah. It does not mean that they are differentiating. In fact, even in Sabrimala, if men have to go, they have to have 41 days of Vratam, they have to follow a certain lifestyle, they have to um, you know, uh, go through the grind before they can actually go there. If mm. you were talking about equality, mm. then you could also say that why do you need to do all these things, even I should be allowed to go there, mm. uh, even as a man. Mm. But that's not the case. So it's not about treating people differently. It's certainly not about uh, treating women differently. Um, in fact, if you look at the Sabrimala tradition, the Irumudi that the men carry is actually given by the women of the house. Mm. So how can it be differentiating? You see, people who don't understand how pluralist Hinduism is would make these kind of arguments and it's usually the communists, the left and the so-called left liberals, whatever yeah. that means, who are <laughs> no, making this argument. I, I think we should also stop. I am accused of uh, using this argument as left liberals because they are quite illiberal. So I think we also need to stop calling them left liberals. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think uh, they must be also find it quite accusatory because they know that they are not <laughs> liberals. <laughs> yes. so. Indeed. Okay. So to wrap up, you know, um, a little bit of, uh, I, I think mention, he, Prime Minister also made uh, things uh, mention on the Ram Mandir issue. And then I also want to talk uh, a minute just or 30 seconds about the jobs and employment uh, thing where the, uh -huh. the accusation by Rahul Gandhi was like there are not enough jobs being added X, Y, Z. 
but that clearly is not the case there have jobs been added and there are some sectors of course where uh, one hopes more could have been done and more jobs could have been added but that's that's a work in progress so what is your take on that well the only person uh, who perhaps is desperately looking for a job as in unlikely to get one is rahul gandhi <laughs> uh, but you know on a serious note <clears throat> India does not have a problem of jobs. Hmm. India has a problem of missing data on jobs. Hmm. Hmm. Unfortunately, in our country, there is no credible source hmm. that gives you the unemployment rate in our country. So hmm. everything is at best a good guess estimate, hmm. and this has been written about, and this has been spoken about by several agencies. and the government of the day has actually constituted a committee mm. to build a very credible all encompassing indicator mm. so that something as serious as employment cannot be used for political purposes mm. at least callously as it is being used right now mm. that's point number 1 point number 2 is that in any economy there is a, always a certain level of unemployment because there is always some amount of time that people who are looking for jobs mm. uh when they come into the market until the time they get one mm. uh there is a certain lag period mm. and india today by various estimates is at about 4% of unemployment which is actually <coughs> very good for an economy as large as ours mm. now let me put the argument on its head and tell you why those who argue that there is there are no job creations are completely misleading the people mm. Mr. Modi's government has given out 13 crore mudra loans, hmm. assuming that every mudra loan hmm. has added 0.5 jobs. I'm not even saying one, 0.5 jobs. You're talking about six and a half crore jobs right being created. Hmm. Assume that just 25% of that six and a half crore actually hmm. hire one additional. and you are talking of anything between you know 1.75 to 2 crore jobs mm. so there is enough jobs being created mm. when you build airports when you build roads when you build ports when your gdp is increasing when your tourism is increasing mm. when your air traffic throughput is going up obviously all of this is being done because there are people who are involved in this economic activity mm. and are you telling me that all of this is not creating jobs it's very unlikely right mm. i keep hearing a lot of people throwing numbers saying so many people have been unemployed so many people have been unemployed if that was indeed the case we would be facing a situation where there would be unrest in the country mm. there isn't one what is happening today in india is very fascinating most people are today what i call the aspirational neo middle class and they are looking for jobs which can give them better wages hmm. you go to any job fair that is happening in india you will find a lot of young men and women who will come there and who will tell you that they have a job but what they have come here looking for is a better job hmm. and therefore uh to say that india has a jobs problem or india is not creating enough jobs is not correct right. you could perhaps argue that 
is everybody getting the job that they want maybe the answer to that is no but that will always be the case in any economy if today you are an investment banker you would want to be a hedge fund manager hmm. right hmm. if you are a associate professor yeah. you would want to be a reader in the university if you are a techie um, then you probably want to be a team lead very soon and mm. all of these aspirations come in with built in um, financial gains that is different from saying that people don't have jobs and therefore because there isn't credible data for jobs the congress and the rest of the opposition is very conveniently using it to say that there aren't enough jobs being created which i do not agree with very well put interesting interesting points so uh, b- before before we uh, before we end the podcast um one quick thing i mean then this has been a pet peeve for me do you think the prime minister should do more of these interviews and communicate a little bit more because i personally feel that he's a very effective communicator and the more interviews he does the more he can get his point across uh <laughs> you know it is obviously the prime minister's prerogative sure. to yeah. Uh, yeah. choose the time um of his interviews mm-hmm. but i know one thing for sure that uh, mr modi is someone who has his heart in the right place mm-hmm. and that is very obvious from uh, any public program that he addresses uh, he speaks as someone who wants to bring about qualitative change in the lives of people and i'm sure in the run up to the election we probably hear a lot more of him mm. both in public rallies and in interviews such as these uh, but what means uh, to be uh, sort of seen is that how he decides to put forward his mm. agenda for 2019 mm. and i think we got a glimpse of that in his interview that he gave at the onset of the new year and that seems extremely promising and um, something tells me mm. that he will very soon you know speak to the country mm. and speak quite often mm. and it will give enough reasons for people to believe that he is the man that they should be rooting for and 2019 will perhaps be much better than even 2014 indeed indeed well uh, appreciate you joining us thank you so much for uh, for this fascinating uh, uh, discussion um, and we'll maybe we'll we'll do another one a little bit before the elections or a little bit after elections where we can do we can see how 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 these all panned out thank you so much for joining us on my sure. podcast today amit it's been a pleasure thank you so much thank, thank you, you.